Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. As those of you watching this can see, we've moved our location of the studio into my library, which allows us to... Uh, have our guests join uh, via an app called Zoom. And today's guests are uh, uh, economist Steve Moore and Dr. Jay Richards. Uh, our topic is what's on everybody's mind, the, the coronavirus and the health implications, and, and increasingly, what are the economic implications and what are the trade-offs? Uh, it's, a, it's a vast and complicated problem. And again, for those of you watching, I'm waving a stack of articles here that I cut out in just the last three days. I like to do a lot of research, but this, this, this almost defies uh, pulling it into something succinct. We've got uh, headlines here, coronavirus vindicates capitalism. On the other hand, we're about to find out how robust civilization is. And then the other one here is normal is not an option. Uh, <laughs> With me are two men who know how to sort this out, uh, can help with context, perspective, and what the trade-offs are. Uh, Steve Moore is an economic advisor to President Trump and is an economist with FreedomWorks. And Dr. Jay Richards is a professor at Catholic University and also the executive editor of uh, The Stream. Uh, Jay, you just, you just wrote something this morning or published, I think, online about... Uh, why the virus might be less deadly than we thought. Can you help us out with where we are with the health issues, and then we're going to segue towards the economic issues? Well, Bill, you certainly said it. I mean, it's a complicated issue because we're trying to read the tea leaves right now. We don't have real-time death numbers, for instance, in Italy. We don't know exactly how many people total are dying in Italy, and there are these complicated issues between how many people are testing positive with the virus, how many people that are dying that test positive for the virus? And then another question is, okay, is the virus causing those deaths or is it causing a percentage of them? That's tough stuff to, to untangle. And in this piece that I wrote with the biologist and statistician, what we're saying is that the trend at the moment in Italy looks like uh, deaths from the associated coronavirus deaths is starting to level off. If that, if that continues for a few days, what the, that means is that this pandemic will look like other viral pandemics and probably ultimately be less severe than say the Spanish flu from a century ago, which is good news. And we make a risky prediction that these numbers in Italy are gonna level off. Um, and we'll find out if we're right in the next few days. If so, Italy's probably two weeks ahead of us. And so that would be a positive harbinger for, for other countries that might give some policy guidance if it yeah. pans out. Yeah, the, the, chart, the chart I saw showed going back down after going back up for the last couple of weeks. Steve, do you, what, are you, what are you hearing? What are your thoughts? Well, about the deaths and the, you know, the health consequences, I don't have a lot to add, but I, I did want to add something to the conversation here because you talked about this uh, bill correctly as, you know, a, a, you know, a fitting sort of our, our economy versus the public health risks. But I want to just add something else to this uh, bill because you and I kind of lean in the libertarian direction. And in addition to some of the economic ramifications, I, I am very nervous about the civil liberties that are being trampled upon by government here. When when you have a government in a state like California that's telling people they can't go out of their house, setting curfews, essentially, um, you know, in some cases they're arresting people for congregating 
you know, that, that I have big problems with that. I mean, it's one thing to segregate people who are sick and have a virus that is uh, contagious to make sure they don't make other people ill. I have a big problem with telling adults that they can't go out of their house at night and things of that nature. So I want to add that to this equation because it's spreading to many states now where the government is telling you you can and can't what you can and can't do. Jay, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, Bill. And I also think the way we want to frame this, because this is what's happening on Twitter right now, is people are saying, well, so do you want to, to kill your grandma or do you want to improve the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average? That's not the right way of framing this because the economy is not about human beings, right? And so it's not like there's five guys on Wall Street and they're isolated from all the workers that are going to be hurt. The reality is if we, if we devastate our economy, that also is about human life. And so on both sides, we're trying to make this complicated calculation. The president's trying to do this. He's saying, Okay, so how much benefit is there to these draconian measures and how many lives on the other side are going to be lost because of our response? And that's important. This is not Wall Street versus Main Street or the people versus uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. This is lives versus lives. And we got to get the balance right. Well, and by contrast, hey, Jay, I'm so glad you said that, because, you know, I've been I was one of the leading people saying, hey, we got to at some point get this economy reopen the idea of keeping it shut for eight to 10 to 12 weeks to me is uh, economic Armageddon. but you know i've been i've been very savagely criticized from people on the left saying oh you know seymour cares about more about the stock market than you know than uh, people's lives but one of the things bill that annoys me about that argument is wait a minute who are the people that are absolutely getting creamed creamed if we keep this economy shut down for four six eight ten weeks it's the lowest income people. It's the people at the bottom of the income scale. Yeah. The three of us are going to be okay, right? We're going to survive mm-hmm. this. We have savings. We have incomes. Uh, you know, we, you, you know. But what about people who are living paycheck to paycheck? And, and so we have to think about what impact this will have on you know millions of people that are going to face potential deprivation. Uh, there's also highly associated with unemployment as things like suicide rates, drug abuse, depression. You know, so you're right, Jay. This this an economic shutdown has a big health consequence as well. Well, a massive shutdown, knocking the economy down 10, 15 percent would throw so many people out of work, would create so many financial hardships that we're going to see related health issues as, as it goes with that downturn. So this is not a question of one path. There's one path to save lives and another path, you know, uh, doesn't. I think both of them involve trade-offs. By 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 con- there's a comparison here. I think I saw this today. The CDC estimated in 2018, 2019, 35 million people got sick from the flu. 16 million went to a doctor. Uh, something like 490,000 were hop- hospitalized, and 34,000 people died from the flu, which was about a one percent death rate. And I also think I heard the people at CDC today saying this death rate from coronavirus is hovering around 1%. So we're really talking about something that's comparable to uh, to the flu, although I know that's not politically correct to say that. Well, and the reason it's not, Bill, is mainly because of these epidemiological models that say we're just getting started. Yeah. So if you're comparing sort of current uh, coronavirus-associated deaths with the flu, well, the flu, it's a huge thing that we all just live with, right? It's just a kind of a part of our daily lives. The idea is that, well, this is going to be much worse. It's not bad yet, but it's going to get much worse. That's kind of the open question. And the problem is we're not dealing at the moment directly with data. We're dealing with model predictions and trying to decide, okay, how much certainty do we have that these models are going to pan out or not? So what do you think the number is? 
Well, I th at the moment, I wouldn't be willing to say, though, in our piece today at the stream, we think that it's going to be it's leveling off in Italy. And if that's a harbinger of other countries, just like it's already happened, presumably, if China's telling the truth and in South Korea, then th it'll level off in the United States as well. And so the total, at least sort of comparatively speaking, will be significantly less than the Spanish flu, which was a disaster. I'm not saying that was no big deal, uh, but the entire global economy did not shut down over it. And so that's why we really need to get a handle on, okay, what's the risk, say, of reopening uh, at Easter, given the serious risk to life and health with keeping the economy shut down that long? Steve? Well, look, um, I am in favor of getting the economy uh, reopened by Easter, unless we have you know, a massive, massive pandemic with people dying on the streets. But it's also important to realize, you know, those of us who are, uh, you know, behind that kind of idea, you have to do it in a very smart and shrewd way to be very attentive to the public health risks and how you can reduce those. Uh, Jay knows more, a lot, a lot more about that than I do. But, you know, simple things about you can have social distancing in the workplace. You can have uh, you start by opening up the industries that are most important. Uh, you know, factories and the seal industry and things of that nature so we can actually produce things. You may want to, I'd love uh, Jay's feeling about this. I mean, it seems to me that just starting by sequestering people who are over the age of 70 seems to make a lot of sense to me in terms of reducing risks of death. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, the reality is that we know that this is a this virus is a sort of smart bomb for people with pre-existing health conditions yeah. and then older people and the older you are, the more at risk you are there's always a trade-off with strategy too. So the amount of resources that are being spent right now with a lot of us staying cooped up in our houses, what if we focus that just on the people that are high risk, we have a really hard quarantine of them, and then the rest of us do really smart things. We wear masks, we don't go out if we don't have to, but those that are productive still in, the, in society are able to get back to work. I, I honestly, I still think, and I've thought from the very beginning that made more sense. Well, uh, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, Governor Steve, Governor Cuomo of New York said yesterday before yesterday that his estimate was the coronavirus lockdown could last up to nine months and up to 80 percent of the population will get the virus. Now, I've got a lot of thoughts about that, but I'd like to hear from the two of you about uh, both his math and uh, and the implications of that statement. Well, I, the, you know, there's, it's an open question how many people will get the virus. What we do know is that a lot of people that are testing positive um, are asymptomatic. And so this is unlike a lot of disastrous diseases and that most people apparently don't even notice the effects or the effects are quite minor. And so that's not necessarily that scary of a number if most of the people are asymptomatic and especially if that gives us long-term or at least medium-term immunity to it. That would actually be a very very good news. Now, this idea that we're going to stay in lockdown for eight or nine months, that sort of just yeah. the human devastation and economic devastation of that, I think people uh, can't uh, even imagine what that would actually mean. Steve? Well, I certainly agree with that. You know, uh, the, you know, the idea of even going past two months, I think, you know, what you get is a cascading effect of the negative uh, consequences. And then you do have you know, if, that, if we shut down our economy for eight or nine months, I mean, people will starve to death in, in, in New York. And so those those implications are negative. What I wanted to ask, uh, Jay, was this question about, you know, uh, when I suggested, you know, start by sort of sequestering seniors and so on, people scoff at that and they say, oh, well, that's what Great Britain tried and it didn't work. No, it's not true. I mean, Great Britain is trying to decide what to do. And when we're talking about quarantining 
uh, the elderly, it has to be a really hard quarantine. I mean, right now, a lot of elderly that are not in uh, nursing homes are actually at home with their families and with younger family members that are still out. And so it would have to be a very serious quarantine. I, I think that would be warranted. Okay. I think people would be okay with that. It'd have to be really, really serious. But if all the masks and all the medical equipment that is sort of being diffused and hoarded at the moment were focused on those people, I just think it makes a heck of a lot more sense. And then the rest of us that are in far less risky uh, population categories. Yes, we are absolutely careful, but the reality is if 80% of the population is eventually going to get it, um, then we need to figure out what to do so that those people most likely to, be, to die from it uh, do not get it, or at least are delayed until we can do something like develop a vaccine. Steve, if we're going to segregate uh, the, the issue by industries or by geography or by population classes, is anybody in the administration beginning to work on what that might look like? Yeah, I think they are. And, you know, there's a big question we, excuse me, that we haven't even addressed, which is, you know, what authority does the president have here? Because remember, uh, you know, gentlemen, that these shutdowns are being initiated by governors. Mm -hmm. You know, the states are doing it. And so it's a big question of whether the president could, uh, you know, in, ter in terms of, you know, declaring a national emergency, saying, wait a minute, we need all hands on deck to get our economy running again. Could he do this through invoking the interstate commerce clause? You know, I'm just thinking out loud. But, you know, you might just say, look, if these five blue states, you know, New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and my home state of Illinois and California, you know, want to keep, keep shut down, fine. But, but the president could say, look, these other states, you know, you should really start thinking about, uh, you know, how you would reopen your economy. You know, a state like Idaho probably doesn't need to be shut down. So I think that's what what uh, what the strategy should be. Well, it's 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 difficult to know when it's so politicized as well, because you get blue state governors and there, there seems to be. Well, I believe there's a there's an incredible polit political agenda here and that, uh, you know, the left would do anything to see Trump not reelected in November of 2020. And so a lot of what's pre being prescribed as a policy uh, move or shutting things down uh, also seems to have a political um, aspect. Well, that's, I, you know, Bill, honestly, I think that's something that's making this so toxic. Just ask yourself this question. Imagine that Barack Obama, President Obama, or Hillary Clinton were president right now and say, how do you think the media would be acting in that context? And then say, now, do you think they're acting the same way with Donald Trump in the White House? Of course not. I mean, everyone knows the answer to that question. And so almost all of this uh, it gets framed in a political way. The press conferences with the media are focused not on substance very often, but on the name that the president uses for the virus. I mean, it's really quite absurd. And then uh, the kind of bitter reality that nobody wants to talk about, but even organizations like the World Health Organization, I'm not disparaging them, but they also have a kind of political cast. And so if you can get the media talking to scientific officials at these bodies, trashing the president, right? That just sort of fuels this. And so I, I honestly think there's going to need to be a reckoning on the media's behavior on this when this is all over. Steve? Well, I mean, Bill, just look at this aid package that, you know, we, you know, whether you favor it or not, if you're going to do the aid package, you got to get the money out to the businesses and the, you know, individual families that need it. And it's been delayed, you know, it should have been done, you know, in 48 hours. And yet it's become totally politicized. And then, you know, you look at, you know, what Pelosi is doing. I mean, she wants to pass the Green New Deal in this thing. She wants, you know, abortion rights. She wants, uh, you know, uh, permanent pay, paid leave. Uh, she wants, by the way, four months 
and this is in the package, four months of unemployment insurance, 100% pay. I mean, the problem is we get the economy opened up in two months and you give everybody four months of, of, of pay without working, it's going to be hard to get the economy moving again. Well, and, and the, the other thing that's troubling me is that we have domestic politics, but the Chinese seem to have turned this thing around so that they're now viewing this, uh, the, calling this the Trump pandemic, and they're trying to make uh, diplomatic aid by doing things like sending Chinese doctors to, uh, to Italy. Uh, how much do you think that's playing a role here? I honestly think, um, you know, I mean, there needs to be a reckoning with China as well, of course. I think I, that a lot of the propaganda activity, except for the media broadcasting it because it has a kind of anti-Trump spin, I don't think anybody actually buys it, including the Western media. I assume that much of this is for, for consumption of people inside China. And so the question is going to be, look, everybody knows this where this started. Uh, we've got the epidemiological models. We know where it started, not just in China, but, you know, down to probably a square mile. And so there's not this kind of open question there. The question is whether the media are going to broadcast uh, th this calumny from, uh, from, from China and from its propaganda. I think that's much more troubling than what China itself is doing. Of course they're going to do this. What would you expect them to do? Well, I tend to be a, a silver lining guy. And, and one of the silver linings I see here is I've been, we've been doing shows on China and the, 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 the ambitions China has economically, militarily, culturally to dominate the world. And one of the things we've been doing is we've been sort of whistling past the graveyard with our medical supply chain very much tied up inside China and the manufacturing uh, that's being done there. I was in my dentist office the other day who said, let me show you something interesting. And he said, look around this office. Everything in this office you can see has a place of manufacture on the label. And he showed me and you know, the, the machines and the gauze and that sort of thing. And then he said, look at, look at this drug container. See if you can find its place of manufacture on the, on the drug uh, bottle. And you think about it, none of our medicine shows us where it's tells us where it's manufactured. And we've got a tremendous percentage of very important uh, medicines and other technology subcomponents uh, manufactured in China. And so this, this kind of crisis, I think, wakes people up, wakes corporations up. Uh, and I'm a big fan of what the big companies are doing right now to deal with this crisis, but I think it's going to wake people up to the vulnerabilities we have with China. Thoughts? No, I agree. I mean, I think China is the big loser here and when this is all said and done. Uh, the fact that it might be millions of people who die worldwide because of China's failure to come clean about how, you know, how serious this virus was. Uh, the fact that they are no, I, I can't tell you how many CEOs of businesses I've talked to have said we're really rethinking China as part of the supply chain, their reliability. Uh, and I think the American people are disgusted by their behavior. Uh, and all of those things, I think, uh, you know, by the way, Trump, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but it, it, for all the criticism that Trump has taken, you know, maybe the most important thing that he has done that could end up saving hundreds of thousands of lives was, you know, cutting off travel from China. Absolutely. And he did it when it was absolutely unpopular. I mean, that's the thing is that yep. he did this contrary to advisor, contrary, no, incidentally, to the World Health Organization. He said, oh, no, this is going to make it worse. Right. And it's also as part of his kind of rhetorical uh, framing that China was as much adversary as trading partner from the very beginning. And I think most people are going to remember that no matter how the media spends it. They're going to realize ah, Trump intuitively had a feeling that there was something wrong 
with China, well, you know, uh, this has now been confirmed in spades, obviously. We've got just a few minutes left. I want to go look forward a bit. I, th I believe we're going to get through this, and I believe the economy will go down in the second quarter, probably by a lot, but I think it provides a basis for rebound in the third or certainly by the fourth quarter. I also think that a lot of the stock market wealth that's been uh, cut, in, cut in the last uh, month will, will, will come back. But we're not going back to normal. What 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 the economy was, what the arrangements we had in society were three months ago, I think are going to look very different. And we talked about the supply chain. What what do you all see as as that'll be different now and and perhaps better because of what we've gone through? It's a tough question. Right? Look, it's on the economic front. Uh, I hope you're right, Bill, because I've been buying stock, a lot of stock in the last uh, two days at the well, price of itself. Uh, you know, you're going to, you're right, you're going to make it. Well, right at, the, at the very but, least, um, I haven't been selling. So, so. so um, look, I, I do think we, we bounce back from these things. It's just a question of how long it will take. Uh, I think, you know, look, this all is, don't forget, we have an election in November. Remember that? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, there's a real high, heavy price to, you know, to our economy if, if Trump loses and the left takes over the White House and every House of Congress. And, you know, you're seeing, a, a you know, a, a little a pre-screening of that with the, all the stuff that Pelosi wants to put in this bill. So, uh, you know, it's really important that Trump have a plan. That's why I've been calling for the immediate suspension of the payroll tax for the rest of the year to give businesses an incentive to hire more workers because you cut their you know payroll costs by seven and a half percent across the board. And then you give workers an incentive to go back on the job because they get a seven and a half percent pay raise because they don't have that money taken out of their paycheck. And you do that through December 31st as a spark plug because it really is important that this, you know, that we have what's called the V-shaped recovery where we boom out of this rather than the L-shaped recovery, which would really, really be, you know, cause a lot of economic problems for sure. And it would also cause, you know, big problems for Trump in terms of his reelection. Jay? Yeah, Bill, I love Steve's idea, by the way, on the payroll tax. I think it'd be one of the easiest things to do. I thought, I also think it'd be clear that it's a temporary measure because my main fear long-term here is not that we're not going to recover. It's that we'll sort of reset as a new normal in which governors are telling everybody to shelter in place and right. all sorts of, uh, you know, um, conditions that even the president, maybe without constitutional authority, starts doing things. And we just kind of treat that as normal, the government writing checks to everyone. Whatever we do is a one-time fix. It needs to be clear it's a one-time fix. And I, actually, a payroll tax uh, policy like the one that Steve proposed, I think, is a really good way of doing that because it would be quite clear that, look, this is a special situation. We're going to give it this temporary fix. And by the way, you know, Jay, along the lines of what you're talking about, and Bill, you know, the thing that I, I guarantee you, you can, uh, let's talk, you know, six months from now, I guarantee you when this is over, the leftists can call for a massive, massive increase in taxes on the Bill Waltons of the world. You know, anybody who makes more than a million dollars is going to have a 50, 60 percent tax rate. I mean, the left is we they were you know, this was their rhetoric, you know, before coronavirus. Now, how are we going to pay back all these bills? We're going to suck them out of the top one percent. That's right. And of course, that will destroy the economy. That's right. Well, I, I my again, I guess I'm more I'm an optimist. I, I think this the way Trump's handling this is is on balance very good. And I think he looks like a political winner as a consequence of the way he's handling handling the crisis. And he'll always have his critics on the left. And 
if the Trump want to call it the or the Chinese want to call it the Trump virus, so be it. But I I, I, I think his odds of winning in November have gone up, particularly when you compare his performance to uh, Joe Biden's video yesterday. <laughs> That's right. I think if, if <laughs> people way, make that, that comparison, I think that Trump can only do well. I think I think we've got our <laughs> campaign you know, video. It's also interesting that the two entities that are calling it the Trump virus are the the Chinese government and the New York Times. What do they have in common? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, Steve, could you sort of summarize where you think we are with the with the stimulus or whatever word they're trying to use to paint two trillion dollars uh, uh, as being what? How do you see that package? Well, that it's, it's you know we have to get the money out of the government's shut shut down the government so you know uh, the economy so businesses need some help to get over the hump but you know think about it in this terms for two trillion dollars we could eliminate the income tax for the rest of the year <laughs> which what would be better for the long-term prospects of the american economy so i mean there's a heavy heavy price to this the other thing quickly i'll say bill it doesn't matter how much money the fed prints and they're printing a lot of it it doesn't matter how many checks the Congress writes to people. If we're not producing anything, there's mm-hmm. nothing to buy. Right? Right. The economic equation starts with production. And so this idea that somehow we just dump more and more and more money into an economy that isn't producing anything, sorry, that doesn't work. At, at some point, you get to the grocery store or the supermarket or the hardware store, and there's nothing on the shelves. Jay? Absolutely. I mean, that's the kind of clear point is that, you know, stimulus without anything to buy is just going to ultimately be inflationary. And so it's not going to do any good for anyone. And it's going to actually just reduce people's savings. And so I I really hope that um, whatever comes uh, together on the Hill uh, is something better rather than worse. I think at the moment, that's an open question. Well, there's uh, an awful lot of garbage in the two trillion, but I think on balance, it's uh, it's. it's psychological, and I suppose it'll have that effect. That may be a, a drug that wears off pretty quickly, though. So we need more fundamental um, improvements. Yes. And Steve, I think to your other point, and we, we I, I said at the outset, health and the economy, but our freedoms are uh, are the things that are most uh, most most uh, at risk right now. So we'll you know, but I feel like quoted in my, quoted in my last column, a book that if people have some free time, and a lot of people have free time these days. There's a book by uh, uh, Robert Higgs, and it's called Crisis and Leviathan. Are you familiar with that book, Bill? No, I'm sorry. The author is, again? Robert Higgs. It's a very, very famous economic book. It's called Crisis and Leviathan. And the theme of the book is that every time we have a crisis in America, guess what happens? Government grows. Mm -hmm. And it grows not just during the crisis. It, it, It ratchets up to a higher level. You know, that was true after the Great Depression, after World War II, after the Civil War. You know, so government feeds on crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, I think let's 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 call those the last words for today. I'd like to have you both back on in a, in a, in a, in a short time to assess where we are then. As I say, I think we are going to get through this. And I think uh, Jay Richards and Steve Moore, you've been incredibly helpful in, in, in putting some of this in perspective. So thank you for that. And uh Maybe you guys can all go back to saving the country. All right. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you. Okay. Thanks, thanks. thanks for all Great. you do, Bill. Okay. If you're watching the Bill Walton Show, uh, you can find us on YouTube and all the major plot, podcast platforms, and uh, we'll see you soon.
we're done. All right. Good work. And I've still got a few minutes here. That was, we got a lot in there, actually, I thought. So that was I good. thought we covered as much as we should cover without repeating and getting yeah, into. Or wandering into things we don't know anything about. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, my, that's my worry about this thing. It's, well, you know, it's like, well, well, you know, with my show, that's my <laughs> life. <laughs> that's your life. Exactly. I know. I, I have a strict policy about saying I know nothing about that. You know, so. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes.